0: Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. We're studying today 1 Samuel 20 and Matthew 11, but if you've been with us for For the long haul here in the last several weeks, you know that I've only been focusing on one book of the Bible because in 30 minutes, it's really important that we stay focused and I won't be able to have a lot of quality things to say for this many chapters. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 11 and we're going to pray and we'll jump right in today. Father, we do thank you today for your word and we believe God that you, uh, you put in your word what we need for our lives. We trust you with all of our lives. We ask that you guide us. We believe your word will do just that. It's a lamp into our feet, it's a light into our path. We pray that you would not only instruct us, but you would give us the power to live the life that you call us to live by your word. And so I thank you for everybody joining us today and I pray that you would encourage our hearts, strengthen our hearts, especially in the days that we're living in now. We We need to know what you're saying, but we need to do what you would do in the midst of the world that we're facing. Nothing is a surprise to you, Lord, and we know that. And so we trust your guidance, your counsel, and your leadership in our lives today. Use this time for your glory in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Yes, you did. And let me remind you where we're at because we haven't been reading for the last several days because the last time we joined each other, we were able to join together was Friday. And so that was, I think, Matthew chapter 6. So now we're in Matthew 11, and yesterday's reading was Matthew 10, obviously, you know that, but Jesus was commissioning his disciples and sending them out for the first time. Matthew chapter 10, he calls them, the Bible said he gives them power and he gives them authority, and then he starts to give them several instructions. Well, guess what? In Matthew chapter 10, they didn't get sent out yet. We see something happening or starting to happen in Matthew chapter 11, which concludes yesterday's reading. And So let's go ahead and read. Matthew chapter 11 verse one, this is what it says. When Jesus had finished giving instructions, that was Matthew chapter 10, to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now I want you to get this picture. We just read one verse, but it's important to know that Jesus commissioned the disciples to preach, to cast out demons, to cleanse the leper, to heal the sick, And to preach the kingdom of of God is at hand. So here that he's sending them out to all these various cities. And he gave them instructions for that. Now it says Jesus himself was actually continuing to minister in the Galilean region. So the disciples are out and about ministering. Then Jesus himself goes to minister as well. And this is what happens. Verse 2. When John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Jesus, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one? This would be the Messiah. Are you the Messiah that was to come? Or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. The poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Now that rhymes, so you know that's great. That's where I get all of my rhymes from. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. That's really powerful. Now, this is an important portion of Scripture right here. You might remember, and I have it written down here, that in uh, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 12, this is where John gives his statement about Jesus. John is the cousin of Jesus, naturally speaking, humanly speaking. John knows who Jesus is. John has already introduced Jesus as the Messiah. He has literally named Jesus to be the chosen one. So John's not wondering now, uh, whether or not he he was in the beginning that he already had thought that Jesus was the Messiah he had already been revealed to him that Jesus was the Messiah but now John has a conundrum he's facing a difficulty right now and that's what I want to bring up partially in our time today he's not he wasn't uh, uncertain before but he's uncertain now why is that that's the question that we want to answer in John or Matthew chapter 3 he speaks of Jesus that, that is one who is going to come, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he's at the threshing floor. He's going to literally baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, sometimes Pentecostals um, mistake what baptism with fire means. Fire is representation of God's presence in the Bible, or it's a representation or a metaphor of God's judgment. Baptism with fire is not some extra Holy Ghost empowerment. That's not what it is. The baptism with the Holy Spirit Is according to acts chapter 1 verse 8 acts chapter 2 acts chapter 19 acts chapter 10 11 we know that it's the baptism with the power of the holy spirit indicative of the anointing that we read about for those that were called by god anointed by god in the old testament to do what he had called them to do now we understand that's what the baptism with the holy spirit is but the baptism with fire is about a judgment that would come upon the whole earth but we know that john the baptist just got the timing wrong he doesn't necessarily get it wrong in his statement because he doesn't claim what it was, but he thought in his statement that it would come in Jesus' first coming. And this was a theological misconception that the Jews had at large, and John still carried it as well. Just because he was a prophet does not mean he knew everything. And we see that continually throughout the Bible that men do misinterpret the times. And John was a little confused about this. And that's why Jesus affirmed what he did, which we'll talk about. But in Matthew 3:12. John speaks of Jesus. He's going to baptize with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He also said in John, uh, that was Matthew 3, John 1 verse 29, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We know that in Matthew 3, John baptizes Jesus and that was a baptism for humanity. It was not a baptism for the remission of his own sins, but it was a baptism for for humanity. John didn't understand that either, but he also saw the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus in the form of a dove. In John 1, he calls him the Lamb of God, and John's own disciples start following Jesus from the moment that John makes that statement. John knew who Jesus was. This is really important. So what's happening here? Why is John confused? Well, number one, John John is confused because he believed that the Messiah was going to basically present himself with military political power in a triumphant way into the city of Jerusalem, overtake what was going on during their time, the oppression of Rome, even the Israelites and the hierarchy of structure that had become corrupt. John supposed, John thought, based on his messianic theology, that Jesus now is the one who's supposed to do what, in his mind, the Messiah was supposed to do in that moment— And so in his proclamation in Matthew chapter 3, stating that Jesus or the Messiah was going to be one that was baptized the, the world in fire, he believed that that judgment was going to come now. And that's what his, in his mindset, he thought. But here's what Jesus was doing. Jesus was ministering to the poor. Jesus was healing the sick. Jesus was casting out demons. Jesus was not rising up in military political power. He was rising up in the power of the Holy Spirit. John did not have this understanding, but Jesus says in response to John, he specifically states this, go and tell him that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now, this is really, really interesting because they overlooked some of the indication from Isaiah 53 and some of the indication from Isaiah 60 and Jesus and Luke chapter four, when he reiterates, when he opens the scroll and he says, he talks about the spirit of the, of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and open blind eyes. They didn't understand that. They really The concept of the Messiah coming in the way that Jesus did, the way of the lamb, the first coming. And then later on, the second coming, the day of the Lord, first and second coming, they did not understand the way of the Lamb. They on, they only understood the way of the King. Jesus is coming back as the King. We understand that. But in this time and in this dispensation, according to Jesus' example, and now we understand the fulfillment of His first coming and the time period which we await His second coming, we understand the way of the Lamb. We understand the grace of God. We understand the kindness of God that leads us To repentance, but I just find it really interesting that John got disillusioned, and Jesus affirmed not John's illusionment, but Jesus affirmed his identity in that John was right in proclaiming that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John was wrong in his timing of when Jesus was going to present himself as the King that he truly was. Now this is actually a very powerful and a very uh, important thing. John's wondering, are you the one? Am I wrong? Was I wrong with the things I said were wrong? No, you weren't wrong. You're just wrong about timing. You're wrong about the way in which Jesus is going to present himself. And this is actually really important. Now, Jesus shifts after he affirms who he is to John, and he says this, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Why? Think about John. He's in prison. This is not how John saw that it would go, all right? John, being in prison, he's a prophet, he's, he's righteously lived his life, done everything that he was compelled to do by the Spirit of God, and rightfully pointed to Jesus. Jesus takes on his ministry, begins doing what Jesus does, and now John's sitting in prison wondering, what the heck is going on? So the disillusionment certainly sat in. He questions Jesus. He gets his affirmation of Jesus, but he's still in prison, so he's wondering what the plan is now. Well, Jesus says, blessed is he who does not take offense at me, that, that the way of the Lamb is the way of Christ, and the, those that would follow Christ, it is their way as well. John thought judgment was coming. The disciples still continued to think that Jesus was gonna rise up in that moment and in that day with military and political power. That day's coming, friends, let me tell you. That day is coming, but it isn't gonna come in the same way that we understand it as human beings. When Jesus is revealed in his glory, it is the thing that knocks men and women to their feet, okay? This is not something that we can understand, humanly speaking. They're, they're, they're just wondering, when are you gonna rise up? They they don't know what this is gonna look like, how this is gonna happen, But what they don't realize is as they consider the Messiah, they're going to see Jesus the King in his glory. We're going to see Jesus the King in all of his glory. And we're going to all know when that's going to happen. I mean, when that happens, we will all be certain. We will all be sure. We will not be mistaken. And this is an important thing for us to grasp. In this time period, it is the way of the Lamb. They were confused about that. We should not be confused about that. As followers of Jesus, we've got to understand that right now, and in this time, there is something inside of us that always wants Jesus to conquer by force. Let's be honest. We want Jesus to take over by force, take over the government, take over society. We wanna be those triumphant ones that take over everything. That is the flesh. That is not the way of the lamb. When Jesus comes back, There will be no strife, there will be no struggle, Jesus will take his rightful place. The Bible says in Revelation that when he comes, a scepter will be in his hand. This is just indicative that he comes as king, establishes himself, nobody will be able to fully war against him. It will be a done deal. And this, in his glory, we will see. We will be be those that get to see this. And I think it's important for us to remember That in this time period, we follow the way of the Lamb. We do not seek judgment for people. We seek for the gospel of Jesus to touch every man, every woman's heart, so that their heart would open, their lives would be transformed, just like yours, just like mine. This is what we seek. For a Christian to seek a dominance or God to dominate is to misunderstand his plan. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance, where we get to bow our knees, we get to confess Jesus as Lord. Make no mistake, God is not worried. God is waiting. He is not worried, he is waiting. What is he waiting for? He's waiting for people to make the choice to name him as Lord. He's waiting for people to hear his voice, make the choice, Do what we need to do in order to come to him of our own free will. This is what God is waiting on. This is why we have to be missionaries so that we can spread the gospel of Jesus across the whole known world so that people have the legitimate opportunity to come to Christ. We cannot be confused about our purpose. The way of the lamb is what we want and what we need in this period of time. We've got to stop seeking domination and dominance that is not the way that Jesus reveals himself to people right now. He is coming back in that way, and it's important for us to remember that and I'm saying that because John was disillusioned. He knew that there was going to come judgment, but he didn't know when. We know that there's going to come judgment and and often, I mean to be honest with you, when we go through struggling or suffering or even when we just consider like how easier it, how much easier it is to control. And, and really just see this thing happen. Like Jesus, if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, we we just want his will and his way to be established. But he knows what he's doing and we follow him and he's shown us the way, giving our lives. He gave his life so that people could have life. We now give our life for the sake of people knowing who life really is. And that's what we've got to remember. He was constantly correcting his disciples. He was constantly reminding them of the purpose and the plan. They, they were constantly in need of that reminder, weren't they? And I believe we are as well. And history, Christian history shows us how wrong many have gotten this. Well, not us. Let's not get it wrong. Let's follow the way of the lamb and anticipate the coming king. That's what this is all about. He goes on to say this. He gives a tribute to John in verse seven. As men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. He said, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. Truly I say to you, now catch this, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is not arisen one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent men take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. Now there's a prophecy in Malachi chapter 4. It talks about Elijah returning. Jesus is making a very specific statement. He is saying Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5 is, being, is fulfilled in John the Baptist. So that's an important point. Fulfilled pro- prophecy is spoken of from the mouth of Jesus himself right here. He goes on to say, But what shall I compare this generation? Is it like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to their children and say, We played the flute for you and you did not dance? We sang a dirge and you did not mourn, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. But the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by her children. What are we talking about here? We look back in verse 7, and we see Jesus affirm and honor the calling of John the Baptist, namely that he was and is the Elijah who was to come, who was prophesied about. But there's some important truth that's packed into these few verses right here. Something that Jesus says about John the Baptist, he says that John the Baptist was basically the greatest Old Covenant prophet. There is no one greater born among women than John the Baptist. He's the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets. Why? The Old Testament prophets, all of or old covenant prophets, all of them were pointing to the coming Messiah. They were pointing to. John was pointing at. He saw him and participated in that fulfillment of the Messiah coming, the way in which Jesus did. That makes him like this the last old covenant prophet in this successive line of prophets. Jesus says he's greater than all of them because he got to participate in that last generation of old covenant prophets. Now we know, if you've read my book, Jesus is the prophet according to Deuteronomy chapter 8:18. Eight, he's a new covenant prophet establishing the new covenant and as he's he's more than a prophet but he's the prophet that was to come. John was the last Jesus is the first. Everyone that comes after Jesus, not prophets, but sons and daughters, Jesus says they're greater. The least in the kingdom of God, this is after resurrection, those that believe in Christ, is what he's speaking to in the future, are greater than John the Baptist. What an amazing statement that is. What it means is the old covenant prophets were pointing to the Messiah coming. John was pointing at the Messiah who had come. We are pointing back to the reality of what has taken place with the Spirit of God living inside of our hearts. So all that the prophets in the Old Covenant were pointing to, we are living in the fulfillment of. That means that the least of us in the kingdom are greater than John the Baptist. Maybe you will remember this statement that is made by John the Baptist himself, and I believe it's in John chapter 1, and we misquote this all the time. John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he, Jesus the Messiah, must increase we use that and we use it wrongly to say, like, I, myself, like, I must, I must decrease so that Jesus might increase. Never say that. Don't ever say that, please. John was the last Old Covenant prophet. When he said, I must decrease, he was not speaking merely as a man As John. He was speaking as a representation of the old covenant prophets pointing to the one that is now here. He is saying what I am and what I represent must decrease. The old covenant is being fulfilled in Jesus coming, being here, establishing the new covenant. Don't say those statements. It's built on an incredible amount of context. Please understand what what Jesus was saying. It's actually what he means here the least in the kingdom, you and I, are greater than John the Baptist. We have have this privileged prophetic fulfillment. We have this privileged place where we're living in light of prophetic fulfillment. Do not forget that. This is where we have the fear of God in our lives. Like, wow, can you imagine that we have literally inherited what many men and women have literally gave their lives for? People have given their lives so that you and I could just walk freely about in Christ, knowing that we are in the kingdom of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, understanding the word, living out what people were pointing to, we actually are living in. This is so powerful. It's so powerful. This is what Jesus gave his life for. It's incredible reference, actually. And this uh, verse, finally, that I want to make mention of, which is very confusing. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but You've probably heard it preached wrongly. I know I have, and I've said it wrongly, too. I'm just going to go ahead and admit it to you. When you don't read the Bible in context, chapter by chapter, line by line, precept by precept, you get stuff wrong. And that's really something that we do. And I've just committed my life to no longer do that anymore. So I spend, um, I mean, I spend over an hour just understanding what we're in, 11 verses? I mean, that's just how long it takes for us to truly understand the Bible. But when you really understand the Bible... You're living on the. Tr- you're living in the truth. You're standing on the word in a, in a right way, and you're not confused about it. We're not misunderstanding these texts that were written a long long time ago by someone to someone, inspired of the Holy Spirit, for us to grasp so that we can walk it out. So I, w- I want to just bring this up in verse twelve. He says, "From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent men take it by force. For all the law." All the prophets in the law prophesied until John. This is important because people talk about the violent take it by force, and it almost preaches like this aggressiveness and violent nature. And that's Luke 16, 16 gives us another way of saying this. And there are other versions that probably say it a little bit better. But here's the way that it could be written. Instead of the violent take it by force, Luke 16, 16 says, everyone is pressing into it. This verse would be better stated, some have translated, the kingdom presses ahead relentlessly and only the relentless press their way into it. What this this means and what Jesus is actually talking about is he makes these references throughout the gospels. You might remember him. He talks about it's difficult to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? It's like the camel going through the eye of a needle and people have various interpretations of that. But what Jesus is saying, it's not difficult to receive Christ. It's not difficult to receive salvation, which is a free gift. But what he means is for us to enter into the kingdom, we have to give our lives. Like to become sons and daughters of the kingdom, to become citizens of the kingdom, we give up all of our rights of every other citizenship. I mean, I'm very serious about this. When Jesus talks about discipleship, he makes it very clear. Not everybody can be his disciple. Why? Why? Because he has to be first. And that's the struggle that we have. The struggle that we have is we still have a lot of us and we're, we're reticent to not give our lives. And so Jesus makes these statements. He makes these claims about how hard it is to enter into the kingdom. Well, it's not actually hard to receive a gift. What's hard is giving up your life. You, you can't have both. We cannot have both. And so it requires a relentlessness. It requires a pressing in, so to speak. Why? Because we're literally letting go of our life. We're literally letting go of our citizenship. We're letting go of our rights. 1 Corinthians 6 says that we were purchased by his precious blood, like this high and valuable price. When we think of, how, of our worth, Jesus gave his own blood. We, we are worth the blood of the eternal son of god but that doesn't mean that we get to have our cake and eat it too it means that jesus paid such a high price for our lives but we've got to give our lives and that's what jesus refers to in the gospels multiple times when he's saying like the violent take by force he's talking more about the kingdom is pressing on this this kingdom is, is going to consume the whole earth Right, Whether people receive it or not, whether people are in it or not, this kingdom is going to go across the whole earth. The king is coming back. The kingdom of God is spreading right now during this dispensation of grace where we get to bow our knee. We get to confess him as Lord voluntarily. But that is going to change one day. Everybody's going to bow their knee. And not everybody's going to be a citizen of the kingdom. Not everybody's going to be a son or daughter of God. Right now, we have the privilege of choosing that. And that's about us giving our allegiance, you know, giving our lives. That's what this is about. If we do that, then we're His, then we're in Christ, then we're part of His kingdom. And so it's important that we press our way into it, meaning, that we give our lives. We discard what we were and we abandon everything that we are. And that's a word. I mean, that's a really great word because in today's world, Christianity can be all kinds of things that it's really not. You you know what I'm saying? I mean, it could be like, it, it can be like we we can maintain all that we want in this world and and just and try to extrapolate every sense of pleasure and joy and still feel that we're forgiven of our sins and we'll receive heaven when we die. The Bible knows nothing like that. That, that, that. that idea of just the name of Jesus on our lips without the nature of Jesus in our hearts, without our lives abandoned, the Bible does not know that version of Christianity. This is the reason why I do not love a lot of the devotionals out there today. And I know I get in trouble when I say this stuff, but listen to me very carefully. If you write a devotional based on this book, it had better mean what this book means. And there are so many books that are written based on this book that change the meaning of this book to make it more palatable, make it more tolerable, make it more calming, more soothing, more medicating. And the scary part about that is, is that it changes what this actually means. And we can't do that. Jesus made serious claims. Jesus, right? We have this picture of Jesus like he's some kind of hippie or whatever. Like he, he's like a, a, the, the flower child. He doesn't really care. Like little Jesus, meek and mild, look upon this little child. He's coming back as like a warrior king. I mean, he, he created the world, the earth, the universe, men and women, vegetation, the planets, the stars. We're talking about God who created everything. And we've got to be careful that we don't change the message. This is not ours to mess with. He's Lord. And I think if there's one thing that's got to be restored back to the church, it's the lordship of Jesus. He's not just Savior. He's Lord. He is Lord of all. We yield our lives. We lay down our arrogance. We lay down our pride. We lay down our rights. We lay down our future. We put it all in His hands. We become missionaries of His kingdom. And so everything that we're afraid of and everything that we're scared of and everything we desire in this life, we submit it to Him. It is all His. He gives us eternal life. Not just so we would have a lot of fun in this life and cool, I'll be in heaven one day, but it is like game on from the day that we say yes right? The aggressive, they press their way into it. We want to be a part of this kingdom. It is all that we want. It is all that we're longing for. It is everything to us, and there is nothing else. There is no other pleasure. There is no other abundance of life. It is His kingdom. We press our way in. We lay hold of what He laid hold of in us. He gave His life so that we could give back our lives, that the choice could be ours again, that we could make the choice to be his, that we would not have to experience the consequences of our disobedience, which is death and eternal separation from him. But the day that we yield to Jesus as Lord is the day that we sign over the deed and title of our life to him. And Jesus is prophesying about what we understand and Paul actually clarifies later in the book of Romans, he's he's helping us understand that it's difficult for people to come into the kingdom, not because he's made it hard, but because we often make it hard, we we hold back our lives. We want the benefits of the coming kingdom, but we want the blessings of this, the pleasures and the cares and the worries of this life. We want the the blessings or the perceived blessings of this life, the deceptive blessings of this life, with the benefits of the coming kingdom. And that is not that is not what the Bible preaches. And we've got to be so careful on our guard for falsehood and false teaching and false doctrine coming in to tell us different. Salvation is easy. Giving our lives is the part that we have to understand. That costs us our life. It cost Jesus his life so that we could have salvation. But sometimes we have this idea that like grace is just free and sloppy and doesn't mean anything. It's a terrible idea. It's a horrible lie that we don't actually have to give our lives in exchange for the precious blood of Jesus. It was free. It's free to receive it. But you gotta give up your life. You know, you don't you don't get it all. (laughs) You know, you don't get it. And this is this is the scary part. So when we read this, there's this climax of of his history that's being talked about here. That John the Baptist is the last Old Testament prophet, and he's pointing to Jesus being the fulfillment. He was disillusioned a little bit about Jesus and his way. Jesus affirms that. And then Jesus affirms not only who he was, but he affirms who John the Baptist is. And then he also just clarifies the work of his kingdom, both now and what's to come. And he's saying, since the time of John the Baptist, right, this kingdom is relentless and it's pressing on. And those that are part of this kingdom, they're pressing their way into it. Why? Because it's everything that they ever longed for. Sometimes when I talk about, salvation, when I talk about Jesus, I ask people this question, have you found in Jesus that is worth giving everything for? Because if you haven't, the question is, have we really found the true Jesus? If we have not, if we do not see in Jesus something worth giving all of our lives for, then I do not believe that we see Jesus the right way. That's what this talks about, that the people that see the kingdom, they're pressing their way into it because they were waiting this is what they were waiting for their whole lives, and it was worth their lives. And that's what we say today. When we come to Jesus today, let me just say to you, it's not a struggle and a strive, but it is absolutely and completely a surrender, 100% surrender, today and every day. It starts on the day of salvation, but it never stops. Every day, we surrender our lives, our rights, our opinions, our views, our future, our activity, everything. We submit it to him. We surrender it to him. Why? Because he's king. He's Lord. This is not a fiction story. This is not, we get to kind of have our own ways. We have already signed over our rights. We were purchased with the precious blood of Jesus. Now today, with whatever we're facing, we get to ask the question, Lord, how do you want me to be? Lord, what do you see in this situation? Lord, how do you want me to react to this? Lord, how do you see this? And guess what? He gave us something beautiful so that we would not be confused. Yeah, it might take time to understand how to apply this in the situations of our life, but it doesn't mean that we're without what we need for our life. We have it. We have everything we need. We just need to make sure that we're digging deep and we're applying well and we're continuing to walk together. Amen and amen. The Lordship of Jesus. We just pray into that as we press into that today. Father, we thank you today for your word. And we're just grateful, Father, that you've revealed your Son to us. We know that Jesus gave his life, his precious blood, so that we might live for you for the rest of our lives. And you gave us eternal life. This is something that never ends. We have eternity in us. And someday we're going to cross that threshold. We're going to see Jesus as the King that he truly is. And right now, Lord, we get to proclaim Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is King to the glory of God the Father. We thank you for that privilege and that honor. God, I pray that in this season that we're facing all these difficulties that we may be uncomfortable. I pray, God, that you would just break out of us any kind of Christianity that's not based out of your word. I say that for me. I say that for my friends. I pray, God, that we would not have another version, another gospel, or any lesser thing. I pray that you would restore to us not just that Jesus is our Savior, but Jesus is our Lord, and that as those who have been purchased with such a high price that we get to lay down our rights. We get to lay down our opinions and our views. We lay them down before you. We humble ourselves to you today, and we ask you that you would lead us by your grace and by your mercy and by your truth. Help us to be gospel advocates in the world around us, knowing that it's what tra- transforms the heart, which is what heals our world. And I pray, God, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel. It works, it always has, and it always wills, will, no matter what we face. So I thank you today.